What you don't know can hurt you. Next on Polygamy, what love is this? Several years ago, our ministry released a DVD entitled Lifting the Veil of Polygamy. It was very well received and it was actually the beginning or launching pad for us to begin bringing biblical truths to polygamists. You can watch the DVD online at the link on the screen, whatloveisthis.tv. And if you would like copies of the DVD itself for your personal library or to give away, give us a call or email us with your request and we'll be happy to send you some or one. The DVD consists of interviews of several men and women from various polygamy groups telling their stories, relating their experiences while they were in the polygamy group, why they left, how they left, and what they did after they left, especially regarding their spiritual life. One of those interviews was with a woman named Janice Hutchinson, a sweet lady who was, uh, she actually has a very dramatic story, but with a happy ending. For years, Janice has been writing a blog expounding on several different contemporary and important topics. You can go to Janice's blog at the link on the screen, JaniceHutchinson.com. One of her blogs is the topic of today's program, and it's entitled, Seven Seductions of a Cult. Now, it's been many, many years since we've done a program on the signs of a cult, and Janice has done her homework on cults, but most importantly, she herself had been seduced into a cult. She managed to get out safely, and from the outside looking in, it becomes very easy to recognize how cults work to entrap folks into their brainwashing and into their agenda. Now, a brainwashed person doesn't know they're brainwashed. And not until they get out and they get away and and look back inside and all the lies are washed away will they know they've been brainwashed. Janice writes that everyone is susceptible to the lure of master manipulators. Of course, master manipulators are the brainwashers. Having been born and raised in a cult myself, I can relate to her story and to much of what she writes in this article. Polygamy groups and the LDS Church exhibit all the signs of a cult, but those who are in them do not recognize they are and will vehemently deny that their association with a cult organization. So if you'll stay with us, and if you have a desire to learn something about cults, you'll understand how, ident- how, you t- how to identify if you have been sedu- seduced into cult thinking and living, or maybe you know someone who has been or is. Janice lists seven of the sure signs of a cult. No doubt there could be other signs that can be applied to different mind-controlling groups, but this is a general list, and it can be applied to all cultic organizations. Now, not all cults are religious, but the ones we relate to, Mormonism and polygamy, are very religious mind-controlling institutions. Now, as we discuss her list, we'll make some of our own observations based on our knowledge and experience at each point. And so we want to quote what she said about her seven-point list. Again, Earl is not with us. He wasn't able to be with us today. And so my co-host is Dorothy Catlin. And thank you very much for helping out, Dorothy. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviding me. I always enjoy being here. It's fun to have you. (laughs) (laughs) So what what did she say about her list? Yes, there is a list. But the list is not easy to apply. Why? Because a cult always has a hidden agenda. The wise admonition to be forewarned is to be forearmed applies to cults. 
So we hope that through her blog and our discussion on the topic, our viewers will be forearmed because this is information is a forewarning. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. She writes that when people initially investigate a cult, they know nothing of what will be required of the member because the cultic group withholds those requirements until after the prospective member has been hooked. This includes the Mormon idea of the milk versus the meat, the deep doctrines versus the simplistic ones, uh, the required practices or behaviors that are often alien to the investigator's former lifestyle. She lists eight things that a cult may require of their members, but neglect to tell them up front. What are those eight things? <laughs> Number one is a ban on free thinking, then a demand for obedience, Number three, a rejection of their biological family. Number four, surrender of careers and employment. Five, donation of all personal wealth to the group. Six, sexual abuse and physical abuse. Uh, seven, psychological deterioration and ultimately the possibility of taking their own life. Now, these eight can be manifested and maybe not all eight, but at least some of them can right. be. They are red flags waving. Big you red flags. any of these things. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, and that's why we're doing this program, mm -hmm. because I came out of one. Earl did, too, of course. Mm -hmm. And you've worked with lots and lots of people who have come out of them. And not all cults are religious cults, but that's the right. ones we are concerned with here certainly um, are. Definitely are, yeah. yes. Now, the recruiter <clears throat> relies upon the ignorance or the trusting nature of the potential convert. And, of course, those born and raised in the group grow up learning and knowing nothing but those uh, requirements. Because they are groomed from their cradle to accept the agenda and odd practices of the cult they were born in, they see all their practices seem normal and natural, uh, and with nothing else to relate to, they don't know they're in a cult, and they'll vigorously defend it, sometimes even to perjuring themselves in a courtroom scenario, or even to their death, as number eight suggests. Don't forget the Jim Jones cult and the mur murder-suicide of over 900 members who willingly drank the poisoned Kool-Aid and gave it to their children. Mm -hmm. We quote what Janice writes. If new converts were told these requirements up front, they would be like the proverbial frog who, when put into boiling rather than tepid water, instantly jumps out. Knowing this, cults cleverly start members out in cool temperatures, then gradually turning up the heat, they begin a thought-reforming process so subtle it goes unnoticed. Like the frog, individuals will stay in until it's too late. The success of the reforming process is evident when former members say, if I had known ahead of time each of the things that I eventually would be led into doing, I never would have joined. And, and those who discover that their leaders have systematically <clears throat> and knowingly lied to them, mm -hmm. or when they discover the deep things or the meat and subsequently leave either the LDS church or polygamy groups, they say, if I had known, I can't believe I used to believe these things. I've heard that. I can't, I don't know how many times I've heard that. I can't believe I used to believe these things. Oh, I hear it too. That's from the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. 
um, the purpose of our discussion is to point out the errors in every, is not to point out the errors in every existing cult, but to expose the points that deal with Mormonism, both the LDS and the Mormon polygamists. So we're going to begin our discussion of her list of seven seducing characteristics of cults. So what's number one? Okay, on the list? number one is a sense of mission. Individuals are first attracted to a cult by its profession of altruistic goals. They believe they'll be joining a select group intent on saving the world. If it's a religious cult, recruits are told that the leader is a prophet and that their group is the only one God is working through. This kindles a sense of mission and induces individuals to join. And they feel special, you know, that they're involved in something like this. So the three primary claims here are, one, their group is instrumental in saving the world. And number two, their group leader is a prophet sent by God. <laughs> and each member is led by God only through the prophet. And three, God works only through that particular group. And that's exactly what we were raised in, in the, in the polygamy group. And these are true of all Mormon polygamy groups, as well as the LDS church itself. They all claim these things. In fact, their very foundation is based on what their prophets have said or do rather than what Jesus Christ taught. We quote some of their early teachings. Mm -hmm. Ezra Taft Benson said, the living prophet is more important to us than a dead prophet. He also said, the prophet is the only man who speaks for the Lord in everything. We sustain the president of the church as our prophet, seer, and revelator, the only person on the earth who receives revelation to guide the entire church. We also sustain the counselors in the first presidency and the members of the quorum of the twelve apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators. You can always trust the living prophets. Now, I remember this next statement. I remember when it was delivered. That's It's been in my since I lived here. Oh. <laughs> Elaine Cannon said this, personal opinions may vary. Eternal principles never do. When the prophet speaks, sisters, the debate is over. The debate is over. That's right. And they have taught that. Mm -hmm. She, of course, was teaching this to the women. Right. And, and uh, we listen to the prophet. Right. The same is true in the polygamy groups. The prophet, uh, the leader of the group, the, the thinking's been right. done. You don't have to think about it anymore. That's exactly right. And we see the results of that all the time, all the time. Uh, now, and these are absolute teachings in Mormonism. <laughs> Their prophet is the mediator between the member and God, despite the fact that God said in 1 Timothy 2.5 that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and yourself. Mormonism removes Jesus from that uh, sole position of mediator and then usurps his position for themselves. Very sad. What's the second point of a cult? Caring and camaraderie. Uh, love bombing or showering positive attention naturally evokes a positive response in new recruits. The cult portrays itself as a loving family and potential members are automatically drawn to the hugging, touching, and flattery. This does not mean that every group that exhibits love is a cult, but cults play upon this need. And that's important to know. You know, a lot of people mm -hmm. show love, but that doesn't make them a cult and just because they love you. Right doesn't mean it's true love either. Uh, now, in my experience, I've discovered that the LDS Church employs love bombing 
on a much larger scale than polygamy groups do. And of course, that's partly because the polygamy groups do not recruit on the same scale as the LDS church does. They are more secretive, the polygamy groups are, and more private. They're more selective on who they may love bomb into their group. But polygamy groups do use love and acceptance as a ploy. Uh, they use it as a tool to draw people to them or to withhold their love uh, and reject those who question or who refuse to comply and conform. Now, there's an article entitled, Every Member a Missionary, General Suggestions, which gives the LDS member advice and instructions on how to recruit a non-Mormon into their church. Some of the things they are instructed to do are. I, this is a fascinating list because this is just this is just the way human beings ought to treat one another when you're getting to know one another until the very end of it. Until the so, end of it. Until the end, yeah. Here's the list. Get acquainted, learn about their family, be cheerful, smile, be a good listener, discuss items of personal interest, invite them into your home, assist them with jobs or other family needs, go out together, tell them you're a Mormon. Now, that last one, of course, would never be included. This is an older This is an older list, and they don't use Mormon. It would never be included today. Tell them you were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's what they would would say say now. now. (laughs) Right. But notice, too, that they were not ashamed to be called Mormon then. But but now they are. But, I mean, isn't this just, for the most part, this is normal human behavior when you're getting to know someone? It's good. It's all good stuff. These are good principles. Yeah, we're not saying they're not good. But... But if you have to be told to do these things in an effort to lure someone to your point of view, that's alarming. Then it comes back because then it's coercion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, And these are called preliminary steps. And and they bring the potential recruit into a positive view Mm -hmm. of the Mormon member. After all this love bombing, they'll be more receptive to hearing and accepting the Mormon gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong, as we just said, in and of itself, of being the kind, cheerful, mm-hmm. helpful, and so on. But it's all merely a deceptive method to hook members. If the recruit chooses not to accept Mormonism, generally they are ignored. They're dropped like a hot potato. Or, or if they do become a Mormon and then discover the hidden agenda, and the hidden doctrines, and leave, then they're often shunned and, mm-hmm. and shamed and utterly rejected. The same is true for all those who leave polygamy groups. This is how cults work. So, again, forearmed is, forewarned is forearmed. (laughs) The third point. Third point, strict absolutes. In a cult, everything, diet, dress standards, ethics, food restrictions, morals, is either black or white. There are no grays. The recruit compares this with the world's sliding scale of values and is convinced that the group offers more stability and a worthwhile lifestyle. They always put the best put forward mm-hmm. in, in all of these things, of course. Uh, they see and they present themselves as being super moral, the best and the kindest, most honest and helpful people. And many of them are. We don't deny that. We're not saying anything bad about that. And we don't criticize the people who make moral choices for themselves and their families. But the seduction of cultic groups is that they see themselves as the only and the best moral people on the planet, and the standard for that morality is their own rules, perhaps based on the Bible, 
perhaps not. But certainly, if they do use biblical morality as their base, they add their own rules and requirements and prohibitions and and their unique values uh, to what the Bible teaches. So they've added to what it says. For instance, the restriction of certain foods or drinks, including hot drinks, Mormonism forbids uh, coffee, tea, beer, uh, any kind of alcohol drink. They claim God gave Joseph Smith the word of wisdom, which rejects these things. But the word of wisdom also forbids eating meat. Uh, except in the winter when it's cold, but they haven't rejected eating meat anytime. They claim to be happier and healthy people because they obey the word of wisdom. And it's true they don't suffer the health risks from smoking or the alcoholism from drinking that that, that the other who do those things would. But uh, there is a lot of secret drinking in Mormonism, by the way. But they do <laughs> suffer from acute anxiety or depression, obesity as much or more as the rest of humanity. So you give up one, you get something something else in our human body. Besides all that, the New Testament does not prohibit what they prohibit on food and drink. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus himself proclaimed all foods clean. In Mark 7, 6 to 9, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And a little farther on in the same chapter, starting in verse 13, he says, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many more things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. And so there's no need for the word of wisdom. (laughs) And the appalling thing is all the things that Jesus then identifies that come out of man that follow that's what makes to do with what you're eating murder and adultery and lying and deception and um, uh, envy deceit slander pride foolishness Mm. yeah Yeah. those are already in you and got nothing to do with what you eat that's exactly right and the eating it doesn't cause those things (laughs) to happen either so again we say everyone who listens to jesus is on the side of truth now we did a show sometime back asking the question Why does Mormonism say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe what he said? And this is a very good example and is the sign of a cult. And in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul wrote that no food is to be rejected, but enjoyed after prayerfully thanking God for it. And Colossians tells us that restrictions religious people force on others produce nothing but false humility. Let's quote. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. 
And, and later on, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. The reality is Christ. Mm -hmm. He's a everything. That's all we need. Well, he even st extends it to what days you celebrate. Yeah. He says, don't, don't let anybody judge you on how you celebrate on celebrate don't celebrate. Well, and that would include Christmas mm -hmm. or right. Easter or right. Sabbath Whatever days. Whatever your festivals are. That's yeah. exactly right. And they claim to be the kingdom of God, but this <laughs> is what God says about the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 14, 17. I remember when I first found that verse. Oh, it was so, I so love lovely. that verse. It's still <laughs> one of my favorites. I just love it. It's so good. <clears throat> but so again, we see the seduction of the cult. Many claim that their eating restrictions are godly and, and or biblical, but the New Testament forbids prohibiting the individual's freedom to make their own personal choices without the condemnation of others. Jesus came to set us free. Isn't it great? Okay, point number four. The leader. The cult's leader is its main focus, though he, though it can be a female, the hub around which all members and activities revolve. To maintain his following, the leader must portray himself as a unique individual with a special mission, or if a religious cult, a prophet called by God. The public relations group elevates his status. Okay, now this is suspiciously close, to, close home here. to home, yes. <laughs> now, now Janice writes, of course, Janice was caught up in this polygamy right. call, so she knows what she's talking about. Now, she writes that these PR people know how to play up the hero image, and, and they'll endow their leader with the role of divinity and with extraordinary qualities. They promote the leader's exploits and admiral ethics and superior standards and intense dedication and God-given mission. Now, in Mormonism, they believe in their leader God's living prophet. Not just the LDS, but the polygamy groups also see their leaders as God's special and God's only mouthpiece by whom he leads his people. Now, she mentions their use of awe-inspiring stories, uh, and that's big in this culture. Uh, they have been embellished and they're twisted to fit their scenario, stories that are generally more fiction than fact. Sadly, recruits or the followers uh, don't investigate to find mm -hmm. out the truth of them because they want their leaders to have these fantastic virtues. One example is the Mormon embellished story of the seagulls eating the crickets of the pioneer settled Salt Lake Valley, and details of which are mostly fiction. I know I heard that story all the while I was growing up, proving the Mormon church is true, or, or that Joseph Smith is true. <laughs> Another example is that Joseph Smith raised a child from the dead. They need to place him up on the same level, equal with or greater than Jesus. And, of course, he, he wanted to be like the Old Testament prophets and, and so on. But uh, he himself pronounced he did a greater work than Jesus did. Now, these false stories will produce a love and devoted loyalty to the leader. A female's love for a leader can lead to romantic fantasies, making her susceptible to the leader's sexual advances and making polygamy easy to accept, or in the case of sexual abuse, making the victim evil and even more easily co coerced. Uh, in polygamy groups, the highest of all honors is for a female to be the plural wife of the leader. Oh, that's big stuff. Mm 
In some groups, the brainwashing, the mind control has caused the member's subjection to be so complete that they will allow themselves to be beaten up. They'll be isolated and abused and demeaned. And that happened to Janice while she was in her situation. Some will commit crimes for the benefit of the group with no qualms that would hinder their obedience to their leaders. Now, if you've watched our DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, and heard the stories of some of the people who escaped polygamy, including Janice's story, you can understand the devotion and brainwashing that controlled each life. But we are to follow Jesus, not any man, nor allow any religion to become our mediator between God and ourselves. First Timothy. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Our only mediator. All we don't we need. need all of all these things that they say we need. Our loyalty to God is to be governed only by Jesus. He alone is our spiritual authority. Our obedience to a human mediator only leads to bondage and stolen freedoms. And God said polygamy would cause the people to be led astray, mm -hmm. away from him. And that's just exactly what happened. We saw the example in Solomon and, in, and the kings of Israel. And mm -hmm. we see that example in polygamy groups today because they have left the truth of God and followed their own way. Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus said. You know, you, you, you leave off what God said and follow your own traditions. Follow your own truth and you just follow it farther and farther away from the God who is. Yeah, exactly mm -hmm. right. So be forewarned that th these are a few of the signs of the cult. We're going to do part two. We're going to do the rest. And also what Janice suggests that everyone do to make sure they don't get caught up in the teachings of a cult. Anything you'd like to add? This. Uh, not at this point, I think. <laughs> we need to finish the rest of these marks of a cult in the next in the next, next time, part two. Okay, yeah. thanks. thanks. Thanks, Dorothy. Thanks. You know, uh, George Orwell, he wrote an astounding book entitled 1984, and it describes a possible future society in a way of thinking that they call doublethink. He said, quote, doublethink means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them, end quote. Now, doublethink can mess with your mind. Mormonism utilizes doublethink in their teachings. Whether they realize it or not, they do. For instance, they claim they don't believe the Bible is trustworthy, yet they turn around and use it and quote from it to justify certain of their strange beliefs. That's doublethink. <laughs> Either the Bible is trustworthy and can safely be quoted, or it's not, so you should never be quoting it to uphold a doctrine. It's one or the other, but not both. God said that he would preserve his word forever. Jesus said his words would never pass away. Mormonism maintains that neither promise held true. So either they deceive or God is a liar. I know who I believe. God cannot lie. He can be trusted. And he has the power to keep his word. And it can set you free. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org 
or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.